We are well into, uh, well, actually I say well, after today we're going to be well through part of uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, it took us a little while to cover Matthew chapter 5. And the Ma- Sermon on the Mount is so important because this is one Jesus' lengthiest sermon. And so much of what we know about Christianity and things that we tie in with Christianity, like going the extra mile and turning the other cheek and, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things, they come out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's just rich. And so we've just been cruising through this. And... Uh, uh, anyway, so today we are on our, our ninth part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today we're talking about uh, when you pray. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Of course, uh, Cutie and I have uh, five kids. So with having five children, then uh, we've, uh, we've done some potty training in our lives. You know, and having to get them uh, acquainted with the progressing out of the whole diaper thing, uh, which is a uh, there's a big financial reward for mom and dad because diapers are not cheap, and uh, and so uh, we're you know we're always excited when when one of them would get out of diapers and we would do our potty training and of course the last phase, the last phase of the that whole process is when they're old enough to go to the bathroom and. Take Take care of all their business all by themselves. They don't need any help from mom and dad at all, and that, that's the that's the big the big phase. And uh, so uh, with our with our last one, we had already done that four times, where you could tell them to to go to the bathroom, and they didn't have to throw any numbers at you to let you know if they were needing help or not. And uh, not, and uh, so with Carson, our last one. We had already done this four times, thought, okay, this is no, no problem, we're going to cruise through this. And, uh, you know, and Carson was, uh, had everything down but the, the final cleanup process. And uh, sitting there learning that maneuver. And uh, so I sat there and I told him, I said, you know, Carson, you need to go. I said, but Dad. Come on, Dad, come on. And I was like, Carson, you're a big boy. You can, you know, you can do this. You can handle this. He goes, but Dad, we're all in this together. <laughs> and the deal is, is we have to understand prayer because prayer is what binds us all together. As believers, we are all in this together. And the thing is, is that as we learn about prayer, then, you know what, there are people on the other side of the planet that I can't, if I was to see them face to face, I wouldn't be able to get much out of it because I can't even speak their language. But the thing that connects us all as believers is our ability to pray to God on behalf of the kingdom, pray on behalf of the believers, and God understands us all. Prayer is the thing that binds us all together. And if we leave this out, this element out of our lives, uh, on, and the power of it, then we connect from the disconnect from the overall body of Christ because we really are all in this together. So, uh, and Carson, he, he got the extra help he was looking for. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Matthew, uh, we're going to go ahead and just look at, uh, let's go ahead and look at Matthew 5 through 8 is where we will start. It says, and uh, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. One of the first things we see in this first part is there are some crucial things about prayer. And first off, that prayer is essential. We see in verses 5, 6, and 7, he begins all of those verses with, When you pray. It's not an if you pray, it's not uh, if the need arises, it's when you pray. This is, this is part of our lives as believers. Part of my life with my wife is communication, is talking to her. It's not if I talk to her, it's when I talk to her. We have to, that, those lines of communication are open. And for us to have a relationship with God, it's not if we pray, it's when we pray. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, of course, who wrote Treasure Island and Kidnapped and the Doc, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and all of that, when he was a boy, um, he uh, once remarked to his mama, and he said, Mama, you can't be good without praying. And she said, How do you know that, Robert? And he says, Because I've tried. And it's just the truth. We can't really... We can't really live the life that God has called us to live without having an active prayer life. We can't just take a list of do's and don'ts and say, thank you, Lord, for that. I'm going to go put this into practice and not keep this active prayer life. That is the way that we, we express ourselves to God and God and through His Word and through His Holy Spirit guiding us in our hearts. He begins to, in those times of prayer, begins to guide us. It is so, so essential. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer is absolutely essential to us as believers. It is something that's supposed to be involved in everything that we do. The next thing that we see is we have to make sure that God is our audience. Because see, who you're performing for, like we talked about last week, is going to determine what's going on. You know, one of the things that is a, is a good personal gauge is to find out who your prayer audience is most of the time. Is think to yourself and say, do I pray over my food when I'm all by myself? If it's just me in a room alone and my meal, do I jump in the middle of it? Or do I only pray when I'm in a restaurant or when I'm with a group of people or those kind of things? Because those begin to determine what are our, maybe our motive, what is our audience? Is it really God that we're, being, we're thinking about? I uh, did the ridiculous thing of deciding to run a marathon last year. And uh, anyways, it was... Uh, 
it was an accomplishment. And so I wanted to run a marathon before I turned 35. And so while we were on our big journey, while we were on our big trip, um, you know, one of the things for exercise that I had with me was a pair of tennis shoes. And so I did a lot of running in a lot of RV parks and just did a whole lot of running and getting ready. So I decided, okay, I'm going to run this marathon. And um there, my birthday's October the 13th, and it just so happens that in all of the marathons that I had found were all these places where it was just hilly and just, I was like, man, I don't want to be running 26.2 miles and it be in the hills. They're just, there's just no way. So we were at home seeing, uh, we're back in Odessa seeing uh, my parents, and we found out that they were, that the, a church there in Odessa was hosting a marathon. And of course, you can't get any flatter than Odessa, Texas. I mean, it just doesn't get any. I mean, that's where they go and they, they plumb levels in Odessa, Texas. And uh, it is just flat. And uh, so I was like, you know, if, if I'm ever going to run a marathon, this is the place to run it. And it was October the 4th. It was just days before my birthday, so I, th- I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this marathon. So I was start as it geared up. I started getting closer, and finally, right before the marathon, the furthest I'd ever run was a half marathon. And uh, I was like, okay, I, I made this. This didn't kill me. I can, I can finish this. So I go out. My kids and cutie drop me off, and we're there. It's dark. We had an early start. And they see me off at the at the starting gate, and I take off in the pack, and I'm running my running my marathon. And they go home and they go back to bed, and uh, they know it's going to be hours before day's done. And uh, they go home and they go back to bed, and then they come back, and during that time while they're asleep, you know, boy, I'm running strong, you know. And I had multiple goals. I had multiple goals. My first goal was to not stop, to not walk. I'm going to keep a running motion the entire time. And uh, then my other goal was, okay, then I'm going to do it in a specific amount of time. And, uh, and then, of course, my ultimate goal was just to finish. And uh, anyway, so I'm cruising along. I crossed the halfway point. I haven't stopped running. I'm ahead of pace. I'm feeling good. Things are great. Um, go and make the turn. Didn't realize that uh, there was a nice little tailwind that whole time. And I turned back in. And, uh, of course, not being so flat, uh, it was uh, in fall. There was a, come the last nine miles, there was a 20 mile an hour headwind with gusts to 30. And oh, it was not any fun. And so I hit the wall at mile 17, and that just was horrible. And I was so mad because all, I found myself walking. And oh, that would just, it just angered me. And so I was. I found myself walking, and then I sit there and I would run again, and I'm going back and forth. Well, then of course we're going down the uh, the access roads of 191, which is a major highway between Odessa and Midland. Well, I'm running and doing good, and I know that my family at some point is going to show up and support me, you know. And so, and I want to be caught running. It's a marathon. Dad is running a marathon. So, I, as children, I, Daddy's going to go run a marathon. Well, Dad, burn it. They sit there, and I'm on that last leg, and I'm coming in, and sure enough, I get this honk, 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 
And I look over, and there's all my kids and my wife all excited coming down the highway, waving and honking at me. And what am I doing? I was walking. Oh, that just made me so mad. So then I start running, and I'm like, okay, I'm running. Well, I knew they were going to be waiting for me at the end. And I was like, okay, well, they're going to catch me running at the end. They're going to see me running at the end of this thing. Well, about three miles out, because it's so flat, you can see the church. You can see where we're going to end. And man, that thing in me rose up, and I was like, oh, I can see it. I'm going to finish strong. And uh, so I took off, and I, I ran too hard, and I ran too fast, and for two miles, I held it. And man, that last mile was horrible. And so sure enough, I get there and I just, I hit that wall that last mile. I was trying to run in under an average of under 10s, uh, 10 minutes a mile. My last mile took me almost 19 minutes. I mean, it was just horrible. And uh, sure enough, my family's waiting on me in the parking lot there. And man, what do I do whenever I cross in front of them? I mean, they're sitting there and, all, and I'm doing this. And just waving at them, walking. And finally I finished the last hundred yards, and I ran the last hundred yards. And I, I finished my uh, marathon and was an hour behind my time. And it was so frustrating because I, I was like, why was I doing this? Was I, who was the audience? Why did this frustrate me? Was it really, was I doing this for myself? Or was I doing this to try to impress my kids? Or was I doing this for my wife? Or what? And then you realize, you know, there are things that, you know, you just, the audience... Who it's for matters. And I didn't realize that it, it bothered me so bad that my kids saw me walking on my marathon, you know. And, and Carson came up to me afterwards and goes, Dad, you walked. <laughs> Thanks, son. Thanks for the encouragement. And, uh, and so, uh, but the audience matters. There's a uh, guy named Bill Moyers who was a special assistant to President Lyndon Baines Johnson. He was, got to go to a meal there at the White House with the Johnson family and was asked to say the prayer over the meal. And uh, Mr. Moyer uh, began praying softly, just bowed his head and began to pray softly. It was audibly, but he was praying softly. And the president interrupted and said, speak up, Bill, speak up. And uh, Mr. Moyer had been a, a had previously been a uh, before he went into politics had been a Baptist minister in East Texas, and he stopped, never lifted his head up, and uh, said, "I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President." And uh, the deal is, is that ultimately his prayer he was he was loud enough for who needed to hear it. And so many times we get wrapped up in the we get wrapped up in the audience that is around us and it forget on who our prayer is for. God is our audience. He's the one. That's why Jesus had to rebuke these people who were going out and praying these loud prayers and doing all this stuff on the street corner so that they could be seen by men. And he said, you know what? They have their reward. People they wanted to be seen praying and they've been seen praying. You know what? When I, I, prayer's reward is answered prayer. You know what? That's the reward I want. And so we need to make sure that we're addressing God and making sure it's the right audience. Jesus said the answer to that is in verse is in verse six, and that's prayer in secret. 
David cultivated. King David, I love the Psalms and going through the Psalms because they are just these wonderful places of prayer, of just this raw, honest before God and just revealing this uh, revealing what's going on in your in your heart and David did that and he cultivated that as a shepherd out in the fields out in solitude he was all by himself with a bunch of sheep and wrote a whole lot of those psalms in that place of solitude you read them and some of them man it'll just make you bristle it's like man he's David's bold He's saying some rough stuff. He's being pretty honest with God. And then there are other times that he just has some of the most beautiful praise and just expression to God. It is absolutely incredible. But it's that prayer in secret. And that's where our relationships are cultivated. One of those Psalms is Psalms 5, 1 through 3. And it says, uh, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For, for <clears throat> to you I pray in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. And in the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. It says, O Lord... <laughs> Consider my sighing. You know, you somebody has to know you really well. That is an intimate thing for somebody to know your sighing. It was about a week, maybe two weeks ago, that I, uh, we, Cutie and I were there at our at our house, and we were watering the grass and watering stuff. And I decided I was going to have this this moment. There'd been something that had been bothering me, and I'd been worried about it, and I hadn't said anything to her about it, and I just kind of been holding it in. And and so I decided I was going to let her in on what this thing that was that was bothering me, and. Uh, Anyway, so I, I think I'm having this big reveal and this big moment where I'm telling her something she just absolutely is clueless about. And I, so I lay it out there and tell her, you know, this has been bothering me. This is what's going on. And letting her in on, she's like, I already knew that. So, How did you already know that? And she goes, Brandon, you've been sighing around here for the last two days. And uh, there was nothing that I'd said that anybody that didn't know me on an intimate level, they wouldn't have known, wouldn't have been able to know anything. But because she knows me so intimately and she has spent so much personal time with me, that even my signs, even those, that place of just that unrest and just these, these, these um, just primal, guttural little noises and stuff that comes out and she understands those things. God wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants us to be, and that's only cultivated in the time of solitude and only cultivated in those intimate times. And David knew that he had that with God. He said, God, just consider my signs. Just consider just my, my sign. There's so much communicated between David and God in a sign. Because he knew what was going on. It's in that secret place. It's the only time we're having this time of prayer is when it's a prayer meeting or, you know, somebody's asked you to pray or you called upon to pray or the public area of prayer. That's not where it's cultivated. I've spent a lot of time with a lot of y'all in public areas. 
in public deals, but there's only a handful of you that know my size. And that is only cultivated in relationship and in in intimacy. And that's what God wants with each one of us. There's a Puritan minister from the 1600s that said God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. So many times we feel like we have to just say the perfect words and we just have to word everything just right and we have to get everything right before we take this to God. But man, just, the biggest thing so many times is just for us to go to Him. Maybe we don't have it all figured out. Maybe we don't even know what's bothering us. Maybe we don't even know what's going on. But just just open the channels and just talk to Him and say, God, this is... and just let it out. And God can make sense of a confused prayer as we just present it to Him and bring it to Him. That's what He wants. He wants us to, to share those things with Him. And we need it. Because it's, it's, it's the shoulders we dump it on is the shoulders we're expecting to do something about it. And God's the only one that really can. The next thing we learn from Jesus and about prayer is that babbling is unnecessary. Don't have to get God's attention through many, many words. And uh, sadly, I trained my children because I get so focused to have to say my name like in a machine gun pattern to get my attention. And there have been so many times that uh, that I've, I've really noticed it with Carson that he'll walk up and go, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I hadn't even hadn't even ignored him the first time, and I'm like, "Son, well, what's the deal?" But then I realized I had trained him to that, and I happened to be paying attention on the first daddy that time to catch it. But so many times I had ignored his first, second, third, maybe tenth daddy because I'd been focused on doing other things, and so he just learned. All right, it's going to take about twelve of these to get him. So let's just. Let's just fire these off. So he's been uh, hanging out with the Hartnagels or something, learning that auctioneering. And, uh, and then one time when Brooker's was real little, and uh, I remember I was sitting on the couch, and I was watching TV, and she was stood up on the couch beside me, and she was talking to me, and all of a sudden I'm watching TV, and the next thing I know, their little hands have gripped my face and yanked my head. And it was just, and she's like, Daddy, listen to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah baby girl, I'm, I'm sorry. But I am so sorry I ignored you. And uh, so many times we, we feel like that because if we're not convinced that God is really paying attention to us, then that's where that thing comes that we're just going to have to do this babbling thing, just say this stuff over and over and over and over and over again, and maybe God, maybe one of them is going to get through. It's just not the case. God has our undivided attention. I mean, we have God's undivided attention all the time. He is so ready. We don't have to use a whole bunch of words. We don't have to, to sit there and, and hope that He hears us. We don't have to, to do all of this to get His attention. He has, we have His attention all the time. And then God knows our needs even before 
we uh, we ask. And so at that point, I said, well, well, then why on earth do we have to ask? Isn't that just kind of bureaucracy? That's kind of, you know, that just seems goofy. You know, if God knows we have them. He has the ability to provide. Why on earth do we have to ask? The deal is, comes back to the truth in Deuteronomy 30, 19. It says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. There are, multi, there are two sides to every coin available to us on this planet. There's not just this default thing that we go into just okay well I'm just going to default into good and we're just going to be this we have to choose and God is the source of all life he is the source of all good and that's why we have to go and we we appropriate those things from him we do have to ask but he knows our needs he's not blown away by them he's not caught off guard oh my goodness you needed rent wow man I was not expecting that one Whew. He's not caught off guard. You know, oh, how, when did you get sick? Your name healing? When, when did this How long have you been suffering with this? God's not doing that. He knows what we need before we ask Him. But the deal is, is we're the choosers. It's been set before life and death, blessing, Christian, so we have to choose to go to Him to receive it. But He knows what we have. He's not surprised. He knows what we have, that we have needed, and is ready to go on our behalf. Now we're going to look, in these last few minutes, we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through 13, which is known as uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is really a, a beautiful outline of how to pray. And we know this is because Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And it's not that this is the magic words and every time you need something, you just have to say the Lord's Prayer. And just hopefully that covers it. No, this is an outline. This is how you pray. This is He was given a demonstration with the outline of how to pray. So let's, let's, let's break this down. Notice there in verse 9, it says, Our Father in Heaven. The very first thing is Jesus is teaching us how to pray is call Him Father. The way you talk to somebody is based on relationship. When we were moving and getting all our stuff out of storage, Lee Francis brought that truth up again because we had my my kids were sitting on the back of the moving truck, and uh, you know, and I told them move. And uh, they moved, you know. And had I done that, you know, it's you know, it's it's not rude when I had with well, my children, you know. They know I love them. There's nothing. It didn't. They needed to move. We were carrying a load. I said move. But had it been somebody I had no relationship whatsoever, just some guy walked up and said his, uh, <clears throat> um, just sat down right there, and just and I said move. All of a sudden, that'd have been rude. That Keenan got really, really mad at a guy years and years ago who was out. We were unloading a load out at the dump. And uh, there was a guy that worked out at the dump, and we were remodeling a house, and we were carrying a load, and Keenan would go with me. And that was back when they let little kids help you unload. And he was helping me pull the stuff off, where there was a guy that was working out there that was helping me unload. And I happened to be standing on something, and the guy says, and he was just joking, and he says, Move your big fat foot. And, uh, of course, the guy didn't know me from nothing. I mean, we just met. He's helping me unload. Oh, man, that made Keenan so mad. 
man, had he, had he been a couple years older and 50 pounds heavier, man, he'd have been all in that guy's business. Don't you talk to my daddy like that. And he's like, he's like, Daddy, how, why didn't you do something about that? It's like he was just joking and he was helping me unload. I said, it's, it's not a big deal, but I mean, he, I think he was ready for me to knock the guy's lights out over it. And I said, Son, that's that's not the way it works, you know. I said he he was just he was just he was a little more casual with me than what our relationship dictated but it's it's not worth whooping anybody over and uh but there's this thing that we know that how we address somebody is is determined by our relationship and jesus laid it out right from the beginning call him father is god king yes is he lord yes is he awesome creator of the universe yes are there all of these wonderful thing titles we can put on god absolutely but how does he want us to address him as father you start out your prayer to father you're talking to father that changes everything on the inside of you it changes the way you address him it changes your, your expected results your expected response when you're talking to daddy that's just a totally shifted mindset the first thing we call him father we call him father the next thing is 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 that we give him praise Hallowed be your name. Praised be your name. And we start out with all of the great things that God has already done. And this is a faith builder for us. We say, you know, God, you're a father. You're so awesome. You've provided for me. You've saved me. You love me. And just all of the wonderful things that God has done. And it is such a wonderful point in prayer because, of course, we're giving God the credit for providing all those wonderful things. But we are reminding ourselves of who we're addressing, that he has already done things on our behalf. This isn't the first time we've gone to, to try to get something from him. This isn't, we're not asking him to do something good for us, and he's never done that. We bring him praise. The next thing that we see is we talk about his kingdom and his will and we see we see here your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we talk about his kingdom and his will and heaven heaven is the picture of god's will if you want to know what god's will is jesus has already laid it out if you know what, how things are going to be in heaven, then that's the way God's will is for us. That's why we don't have to say, God, heal us if it be your will. Because it's not God's will in heaven for anybody to be sick. Sickness and disease is a result of the fall. It is a result of the cursed dimension. It is not a result of God's judgment. It is not a result of God trying to teach us something. It is part of the curse. It's part and is a reality that's in this time period called mortality. But it is not so we when we pray, we can pray for healing and, and have total confidence because it, we understand it's his will on earth as it is in heaven, and it's not his will in heaven that anybody be sick. That is our paradigm for it. See, as uh, when a boater is out, they're out on their boat, out on the river, out on the lake. And uh, they decide they need to come into the shore, and they take an anchor and whoop, chunk it out, and then start pulling things in. Are they actually are they pulling the shore to themselves? 
No. We're pulling the boat to the shore. See, the thing is, is that's why this part is so important. His kingdom be done. His will be done. It is us aligning to what is solid. Us to what really matters. To what we can really anchor to. It's not trying to pull God into our ever slippery circumstances and have Him conform to us. But us conform to Him. His kingdom come. His will be done. In heaven, who we will be, our character, and how we're going to be, is, is what we need to be thinking of. How we're going to be in heaven. Am I going to be irritated about this? Am I going to be unforgiving about this in heaven? No. So we need to be prepared when we pray, God, before we get into all the litany of the other stuff that comes next. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I'm not going to be mad in heaven about this person who just offended me today. When I get there, I'm, I'm going to be over it. One way or the other, by the time I'm there, I'm over it. So guess what? I need to be prepared to be over it here. You know? Am I going to have am I going to have a short fuse in heaven? No, then I need to be prepared for God's will to happen on earth here. I need to have a line. God do your shifting even in me on earth just as it will be in heaven. So many times we want God to rework all of our circumstances and leave us alone. But the deal is that His will on, on earth as it is in heaven a lot of times has to do with us. We're the constant in the middle of our lives. We're the constant in the middle of our circumstances. We, everywhere I go, there I am. So, so many times what needs to change is me. And I need to be shifted to the kingdom and to His will just like it will be in heaven. Brandon Clark would be a, a more patient Brandon Clark in heaven. I'll be a more loving Brandon Clark in heaven. So guess what? I need to be willing to be conformed into that on this earth. Then the next thing we have to do is ask for our needs of the day. Ask for our needs. We already addressed the fact, and Jesus already addressed the fact, that God knows that we have need of these things before we ask Him. But we do ask Him. It says, Give us this day our daily bread. Isaiah 33, 16b says, His bread will be supplied. That's the, the believer, the one who follows Christ. And water will not fail him. This is something that's been a constant with God. He has always provided for His people. And it's that daily bread. It's looking for him today. You know what? Hopefully none of us were praying. You know, Lord, I sure hope that I eat on January 23rd in 2027. Lord, please provide that meal. I know I'm going to need it. You know, we're not supposed to be worrying all the time about tomorrow. He gets into that at the end of at the end of chapter six, that we'll get into later. But we need to be thinking about today. It's today's needs, and be satisfied with the fact that today's needs are met. Not always be wrapped up in the next day or the next day or the next day, but be satisfied that today's needs are met. It's not that we get lazy. It's not that we don't be wise stewards. We see too much in the Word about being wise stewards and laying up for the future. It's not that. The thing is we should not be worried about the future. 
today's wisdom takes care of the future of tomorrow. That's why we have to deal with today. It's about today. Alexander the Great, at uh, at his heyday, um, there was a uh, philosopher who was an incredibly gifted philosopher there in his court. And uh, like many people who simply deal with philosophy and not practical things, um, was low on money. And uh, he's a brilliant philosopher, and but was low on money, and went to Alexander the Great and had wowed him with his uh, philosophizing, and told him he of his peril, he needed some money, and uh, so Alexander the Great told him, he said, go to the treasury, and tell, and get get whatever you need from the treasury. Well, this philosopher goes to the treasury and tells the treasurer, he said, and gives him a sum that in today's dollars would be the sum of asking for fifty thousand dollars. Well, that's a chunk of change today. You go and some and say, hey, I need you to release fifty thousand dollars to me, and the treasurer was like, hold up now, what's the, what's the deal here? And he investigated to make sure that Alexander the Great was cool with this. And when he when Alexander the Great had no idea how much the guy had asked for, when he found out the sum of money that this guy had asked for, this was Alexander's response. He said, Pay the money at once. This philosopher has done has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request he shows that he has understood both my wealth and generosity. See, the deal is, is that if we're, when we understand God's wealth and generosity, then we'll make bold requests of Him. And it's not this bold request, the Lord, give me a million dollars so I can be taken care of the rest of my life. It comes back, we already understand that it's our daily needs. But we can be bold about God taking care of us today, of living in strength today, of having wisdom for the day, having bold requests. Not so that we can somehow be so financially well that we don't need God anymore. I want one big payoff from you, God, and then I'll never bother you again. No, that's not what God's looking for. But He is looking for us to understand His wealth and His generosity and to come with Him boldly before the throne of grace and bring our needs to Him. That's what God is looking for. Then the next thing on our agenda, we've called Him Father, we've given Him praise, we've adjusted to His kingdom and to His will just like it is in heaven. We've talked to Him about our needs. And now, now, way down here on our list is the issue of forgiveness. Here we deal with forgiveness issues. It's a way down on the list. So many times that's the first thing. Oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. That we got to think we have to show our how humble and repentant we are before. Because really what we want to pray about is getting our daily needs met. But I got to get forgiveness first and show God how I understand how I'm a dirt bag and all this stuff. And then I'll slip in my my stuff that I need. No, God says, man, give, bring me the stuff that you need. Because we're in right, right relationship. We're, we're forgiven anyways. Well, we walk in forgiveness. Then we bring up down here on the list. Now we bring up the forgiveness issues. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is the only one that has a stipulation tied to it. It's way further down on the list than we would have expected. thought, maybe, Father in heaven, you're really wonderful. Please forgive me. 
No, that's not the order. Forgiveness is way down here. Dealing with our sin issues, dealing with our mistakes, dealing with all that stuff is way down here on the list. Yes, we address it, but it's not one of the first things that <clears throat> that we have to uh, deal with. But it is important, and it is tied to our our being willing to forgive. We have this wonderful thing in our chest called the heart, and it pumps and brings life. It brings life to our bodies. Body, the Bible even says that, that the blood, the life is in the blood. And that heart, boom, pumps and brings life and all of the stuff that we need to all of our bodies. But there is this thing that, guess what? Guess what also needs blood pumped to it? The heart. It needs blood too. It's pumping blood to itself. And a heart attack happens not when I, uh, this clog gets happened and I can't get blood to my big toe. No, a heart attack happens when one of those arteries that feeds the heart itself gets clogged. And then the heart can't get the oxygen and the nutrients and all that it needs. And then bah, we're all in trouble. See, forgiveness in our, with our relationship with, with God, it is that lifeblood. Forgiveness is why, so why we needed Jesus, to be set right. But you know what? There's also this deal that it flows in and is so important in the way that we deal with each other. Our forgiveness issues and the way we're willing to forgive is like one of those little arteries that feeds that overall thing. Our, we need forgiveness in every area of our life, but we clog up. On that, and according to the word, it shuts the, the process down. We have to be willing to give that which we need. We have to be willing to dispense the forgiveness that is so necessary for us. And then the last two, the last two, is that <clears throat> lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. It is guidance for good decisions. Guidance in the way that we're going to go. James 1, because we're going to look at this temptation issue real quick. James 1, 13 through 14 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. It is our evil desires, our carnal nature that pulls us in to temptation. I like the way that these other three translations deal with Matthew 6.13. First we'll look at the New Living Translation. It says, don't let us yield to temptation. The message translation says, keep us safe from ourselves. Oh, that is just so powerful. That is so powerful. And then God's Word translation says, don't allow us to be tempted. Lord, help us not to even be tempted, not to be enticed. That's the way that would be worded, Lord, and give us guidance for good decisions. And the way we should go, leading us guidance for making good decisions and then the the last one deliver us from evil is asking God for deliverance from our previous poor decisions 
That's where we get wrapped up. That's when we get messed up. Why we need to be delivered. There was our previous poor decisions and just straight up attack. There is a, there are times where it's just a, a demonic attack, where it's just attack from the devil, and we need deliverance from that. But most of the time, we simply need to be delivered from our own bad choices. That's where most of our needs, <clears throat> most of our mistakes lie. John 17:15 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This is Jesus praying for us as believers, praying for us to be protected, praying for us for deliverance. And it's something that's on the heart of God. And it's something that is on the heart of God. Prayer is so vital. It is so vital. It ties us all together. It connects us to God. And it's something that's got to be done real and done honest. You got to make sure we uh, we we keep it we keep it j- just us talking to God. No religious junk finding its way in there. Prayer is not a religious thing. It's a relationship thing. If it starts getting religious, you need to check it. It's relationship deals, talking, conversing, pouring your heart out to God. But this morning we want to make it available if anybody needs to enter into relationship.